to forging her vindictives, dreaming about a premiership cup. We love our clubs, but they never win. Two flags in 100 years. That shit house, if you think we'll be insightful, clever or just well researched. To say that's not the case, we'll just go out and wing it. We are two guys, one car. It is Wednesday, August the 12th. Welcome to Two Guys, One Cup. An AFL adjacent <laughs> podcast. My name is Will Anderson. And my name is Charlie Clawson. And uh, I don't know about you, Will, but... Uh, the festival of football has become the football fever as it, I'm coming down with it and I'm lying in bed and I can't take any more football. I am so lost. I don't know what round it is. I don't know who's playing. There's too much football. I once had food poisoning and the sensation was like I was on looking out the window of a fast moving train. Every time I closed my eyes, it was just another train was rushing past and it made me nauseous. That's how I'm feeling about football right now. Every time I look at my phone or put on the TV, there's football and I'm starting to feel a bit sick. Well, I'm the opposite. I've been in stage five lockdown from football. I've avoided <laughs> yeah, right. the idea that football's happening. There's too much football out there on the streets. I'm staying at home. I'm wearing a mask, but over my eyes, so I don't have to watch any football. And the other thing is, all the things that I normally enjoy football for, which is the football adjacent things, you know, the shows, the podcasts, the... All those things have been put away because there's games on every night. They're like, oh, we're not having our AFL show tonight because there's a game on tonight. And you're like, well, actually, the games are only on so you can do this show, in my opinion. Yeah, I saw uh, uh, the first uh, couple of quarters of Collingwood um, and Adelaide last night. And at halftime, they went to uh, Robbo and Jared, <laughs> And it was like a rushed episode of 360 where they... Literally sort of just talked about what we'd just seen in those previous two quarters. And it's like, that's not why you watch AFL 360. You want a more kind of languid pace. You want that tete-a-tete of, you know, uh, well-researched Jared uh, uh, Waitley with off-the-cuff, has he even thought about what he's saying, Mark Robinson? We don't want to see commentary on stuff we've just seen. No, absolutely not. We want long-winded, <laughs> half-thought-out rambles <laughs> from Robbo. And we want Jared to just be uh, having his glasses almost force themselves off his face if he puts them on so that uh, uh, because his eyes are rolling so hard behind them. He does. That's what we want to see on that AFL 360. His ability to remain poker faced and maybe offer a dry retort mm. with Robbo is astounding. Because I often, when Robbo goes into one of his big wind ups mm. and you know, he starts like rubbing his head and then contradicting the point he's just made and, you know, getting really down on him, then up again. It's like, it's like sitting at the bar. You've just taken a seat at the bar and there's a guy at the end of the bar who's been there all night and he's going to tell you his life story. And you sort of sit there, but Jared's just fantastic at just sitting there and nodding almost like a psychiatrist would. Yeah, like a psychiatrist or a psychopath. There's a little bit of me that looks at Jared looking at Robbo like he's Hannibal and at some stage he's going to murder him and eat him. And he's going to prepare him with some meticulous recipe that he's been keeping in this little set of cards that he has in his office and he's just waiting for the time. He knows that Robbo is perfectly marinated. He's fattening him up and he's just waiting for that perfect (laughs) moment where he can just eat him. So maybe there's something about keeping Robbo in that state Mm. gives him a better flavour. You know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, like a Wagyu beef, Mm. like keeping Robbo in a state of constant, like sort of confusion, self-contradicting confusion makes him taste even sweeter. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, that's right. It's it is the Wagyu theory, I think. But instead of massaging him, you've just got to let him massage his points around. Stew in his, <laughs> stew in his own. You've got to let his stupid brain, juices. His, his brain's got to stew in his own stupid juices. And Jared's internal monologue is always things like, "Look at his brain in there, sloshing around, trying to make a point. It's going to be so delicious when I eat him. Delicious." Oh, he's come in smelling a booze again. Oh, it's like Christmas. He's going to be so delicious. <laughs> if you look at Jared, you can just see him slowly run his tongue across his lips as Robbo's going on one of his rants. Just a slow, like, maybe a smack of the lips. What did you say, Jared? I'm going to have you live with some father bench. I mean, uh, it's been a great round. Robbo's like, uh, Jared, I'd love to come around for dinner. And Jared's like, oh, you'll be coming around for dinner. <laughs> just like bruce mcavaney i believe that you will be quite delicious <laughs> so what what's your uh uh been in isolation what is your thumbnail sketch of the afl where do you what what stories have grabbed your attention what have you heard in your little bunker. Well, it's not grabbing of attention that seems to have made the headlines <laughs> this week. It's the grabbing of other parts of the body that are perhaps in return. Much like I imagine Jared Waitley likes to inspect <laughs> Robbo's corpse before he cuts it up. There was a little bit of that going on. I'm obsessed now with the idea that Jared Waitley is like the only reason. Because it's the only thing that explains why he puts up with Robbo's shit is that at some stage, like a psychopath, he plans to murder him and then eat him. But um, no, well, the, gra what, the grabbing what of... Is the, what is the Jared... Sorry, we'll get back yeah. to that. But what is the Jared Robbo history like were they put together just for that show did they do radio together like what how did this how did the original odd couple come to be well i think isn't it just because they are the odd couple i guess there is that idea that there's probably some in the football community who find jared too dry and too nerdy and too well balanced Analytical. and they need to bring sort of equilibrium to that and i guess it's the same with robbo so they're better together than they are separately except that uh, in the case of Jared separately, he's still pretty good, but Robbo on his own, he's a complete and utter mess. He has to be dragged out of gutters to barely make it to the Herald Sun to string words together that are then put in an order that people can actually comprehend by somebody else, I imagine. But they're a unique combination in all the football commentary in the sense that they're both journalists. Like, n normally on one of these shows, there's one ex-footballer, but Jared dr uh, Robbo drinks like an ex-footballer. <laughs> But Jared is like your traditional straight up and down old school kind of journalist. I mean, I, I like Jared. I like Jared has a, a poetry to the way he describes things. Like he has a great way of framing, you know, the kind of good guys and bad guys of the week. He's incredible. He's, his use of language is incredible. And I used to think it was because he just wrote everything, you know, so beautifully. But when you hear him on the radio, you realize that he has the sense of being able to do that on the fly and on the run, that he can, you know, understand things and then reinterpret them in a way that gives them deeper meaning. I think Jared is much more than just a straight old AFL reporter. I think he genuinely is. You know, his poetry perhaps sometimes is like a, understated and subtle, but I think he paints incredible pictures of the game and he has a depth to his commentary that adds to the depth of the game. You know he reminds me of? Martin Flanagan. The way Martin Flanagan writes, Jared kind of speaks. There is a kind of, there is a, yeah, there's a poetry to it. 
there's like a subtle touch. He uses like interesting metaphors. You never hear baby getting thrown out with the bathwater with Jared. Too, the low-hanging fruit as far as he's concerned. Martin, uh, Jared speaks like Martin Flanagan writes and Robbo looks like Martin <laughs> Flanagan looks. Is there any chance that this is the connection? That they are both the illegitimate sons <laughs> Of Martin Flanagan, and that's what's got him on the show. Or is it more of a Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey situation, where Jared and Robbo are stationed when they're the two little creatures, but then station run together and become Martin Flanagan? Is there a chance that they are twins? Is this the reboot we've been looking for? Jared Whiteley and Mark Robinson are twins. Right. So Robbo's obviously the Danny DeVito one. He got all the bad DNA. And Jared got all the good DNA. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Um, but what was the question in the first place? What were you saying? Oh, oh yes. The groin gate. Grope gate. Mm, yes. That was the, the story of the week, wasn't it? The Richmond players grabbing each other's private parts during the well, celebrations. Then they've started digging deeper into the uh, the change room cameras and finding examples of butt gropes and... and bum pokes and stuff uh, from multiple different teams. It's it's really... Uh, we were hanging out together when the Richmond footage came out and we had a talk about it, just a brief talk about it. And I was saying how like, it's completely wrong and it shouldn't be happening and stuff. But I am... I was yet... I don't think I've ever played a football team where there wasn't something like that going on. This is not to say it's right or it's tradition, but that was just a reality. Even, you know... 30 years ago when I used to play football, there was always people doing weird stuff like that in the change rooms. So, I mean, firstly, you went to Catholic school, so it wasn't just at footy practice. It was yeah. also Sunday school. And... <laughs> but mate, news, well, footy was a relief, those... mate. Got me away from the priests for a minute. At least there was a young boy sticking his finger up my bum and not some old bloke with like rings and jewellery. Well, the good news is those guys got relocated on a pay rise. <laughs> Put in better digs. So justice um, was served in the end. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right in that it's the worst of that football culture is that sort of stuff. And I remember... Not just footy culture, boy culture. Like teenage boy culture. Like you go to parties as a teenager, sleepovers, anything like that. Boys are bum and dick obsessed. Yeah, but I remember particularly in the sporting clubs because you have such access to people's bums and dicks in a way that you don't necessarily have in broader society. I mean, like it's not like you go to a party at your mate's house and then everybody has a shower together at the end, like good party guys, you know. Like there is a real element of you know, body shaming and bullying and making people feel uncomfortable. And Mm. since, so we saw it when it first came out and yeah, we did have a chat about, it was so common to our junior football experience as well. But I've had to think about it, you know, in the few days since then. And all I remember is it was the worst part of it. It was the bit about going to football that I fucking feared. It was the bit about going to football that made me feel, particularly as like a tubby young bloke in particular who wasn't particularly confident, you know, like I'm still a guy who doesn't really like, you know, taking my shirt off or any of those sort of things. Being back in the football change rooms and having people like, you know, flick people with towels and comment on the size of people's genitalia and, yeah, grope your genitals and stick their finger up your bum and shit was like, you were just like, this isn't, 
when mum and dad signed me up for this on a Saturday morning, I don't think they were going, <laughs> you know what he needs? A good finger up the bum. That'll teach him some important lessons about bonding. Yeah, we're going to send you to Epstein University. Yeah. <laughs> I had, um, when I was a teenager, I don't know what the uh, what the explanation for it was, but the way my body developed, the way my chest developed is that the bone in between, in the bone in the middle of my chest, my breastplate, I guess you'd call it, uh, grew first. <laughs> so if you can imagine like the front of like a, a sports car or something, the center of my chest poked out while the rest of my chest hung back in a kind of vaguely uh, triangular t- shaped fashion. And the thought of taking my shirt off in front of other guys at training and stuff, knowing that someone would glimpse that and it would then start like 45 minutes of relentless bullying used to make me fucking my palm sweat before I went to training. Yeah, I totally understand that. When I was 14, I was playing in the under-19s. And that is just a five-year period of time. You go, well, it's only, you know, I guess it's probably like four or five years in between me and the other boys that I was playing with. But they are four or five very important years in the development of you, (laughs) like, you know, puberty-wise. Like, there's a real difference between a 14-year-old and a 17- and 18-year-old in the shower. And so what are the rules with... I mean, I hear about this, especially in the country where some good footballer who's like an under-15s will play seniors, maybe play two games in a day. But is there, like, is there, are there rules about, like, don't hit the (laughs) 15-year-old? How do they protect? Because you're right, there is a huge, like, leap that comes in mental and physical maturity between 15 and 18. Even Matt Rowell, even born as a 30-year-old Benjamin Button Matt Rowell, I imagine him as a 15-year-old would still be, undersized against senior players. Yeah, but like, I mean, imagine the other babies when Matt Rowell was born. They wouldn't all want to have their nappies changed in front of Matt Rowell. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Rowell was born with a bowl of chorizo pasta in one hand and a football in the other. Yeah, they were just like, hey, should I cut the umbilical cord? And they were like, Mr. Rowell, that's his penis. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't give him formula. They just gave him pureed pasta and chorizo. That's what he had from from day dot. (laughs) just do you know what mum i don't need breast milk thank you i need some chorizo pasta right now um uh so the saints got beaten quite soundly the other night i I watched that um and i uh, have been amazed by how much st kilda supporters are freaking out like we've won four on the trot four day three day turnaround we play geelong like good team Geelong and we get pants and they're all like freaking the fuck out it's like we've had a terrible 10 years can you just enjoy the fact, like, I, I, I'm, I for one, I'm glad I can take a breath. I didn't like all this winning. It was too much. It was like too, I had to, I was getting too involved in football, but I feel like there was a, a pressure release us losing to Geelong. I think that also in this, like, you know, football festival, much like a music festival, you're just going to have some bad days. If you went to a 21-day music festival, you're just not going to be at your best every single day. And I just feel that... There's barely been any team that hasn't had a shocker at some stage during this season. So the idea that you have one shocker, I don't think is anything to be alarmed about in this season. We've had three shockers in a row. That's more of an alarm bell situation. (laughs) (laughs) And Jason Johannesson might be out. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not particularly confident. I was... There was a period of time where I was like, oh, the Bulldogs might make the finals. And if they make the finals, you never know what might happen. But... I don't, I'm not even sure that they would will make the finals you, now. I think your your um, interest in football, as I as I have noticed it from the start of the season to now, has become considerably muted. 
There was a lot of optimism over summer. We talked a lot in the off-season about, you know, the players you'd brought in and the way you'd finished the year and disappointing loss to GWS, but some great signs. But that spark has gone out of your eyes. <laughs> now I just see someone who's kind of, I don't know, like willing to go back to it for a long sleep. Just just another preseason, please. They asked me to do some stand-up, and I'm not doing stand-up at the moment, but also the idea of doing stand-up over Zoom, you know, to some players who are in another room is like the mm. worst of all ideas. However... If it looked like the Bulldogs were going to make the grand final, I would have fucking done it. The no came very quickly, Charlie. It's fair to yeah, say right. that I shut down that idea incredibly quickly. I had a quick look at the ladder position and how we were going this season. And I said, no, I don't need to add more pain to my Bulldogs experience this year. So, okay, to say it was uh, a grand final weekend, the Bulldogs are playing whoever. And... They same call comes through, but this time it's not about Bevo's whatever. It's we want you to speak to the boys. They're under a lot of pressure this week. We think having a bit of a chat, you know, up to you whether you want to be stand up or maybe can, we can do a Q and A. We'll just have the Skype going. Would you do that? Yeah, I'd start with who here wishes I was Carl Barron. Seventy five percent. Yeah, now well. everyone's hand who, goes up. who else wishes I was Peter Hallier doing Strawny? Oh, 20 percent of the room. Okay, excellent. And who wishes I was Carl Barron doing Strawny? Oh, the rest of the room. Okay, I'll get those guys. All right, no, I want you, seriously, give me your first minute. Uh, okay. I mean, there must be... Okay, you got some go-tos? I think... Ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, he's, uh, you know him, you love him. He's uh, one of the, the Bulldogs' uh, number one ticket holders. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Will Anderson. <laughs> I'm a surprise guest, and but it's not as big as a surprise as you guys being in the fucking grand final this year. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, see Josh Bruce is here. Oh, he actually turned up for once. Fantastic. <laughs> I didn't want to miss. I didn't want him to miss me like he's missed all those goals this season. <laughs> Hope none of my humour is out a- of bounds like the place Josh Bruce keeps kicking the fucking football. <laughs> <laughs> it just turns into a roast of Josh Bruce. Ah, <laughs> uh, poor old Josh. He uh, posted something about that bullying this week because that's been in the focus. I'm not sure if you've seen a lot of players talking about how they're getting harassed more than ever now because of the betting. Because, you know, they can bet on your statistics, disposals and all that kind of stuff. I did see that. I saw Callan Ward um, spoke out a little bit about it, which I thought that's a good person to speak out about it because there's no tougher player in the AFL than Callan Ward. So if you're going to get somebody to say, you know, stop this bullying and death threats and all this stuff on social media, Callan Ward is the sort of guy you want to be delivering that message. You know who, you know the solution to this entire problem and the reason it hasn't presented earlier is obvious. He's not on social media. We need to get Ben Cunnington involved. Because can you imagine how much provocation do you think it would take to get uh, some kind of retaliation from Ben Cunnington? How far down an insult do you think you could get before Ben Cunnington ripped your heart out? Well, here's the thing about Ben Cunnington. He's not used to the internet. So those of us mm. who've been on the internet and social media knows that these messages are frequent, and they mean nothing, right? They, mm. You should just, you know, the truth of it is that they are just these, you know, horrible, sad, lonely, you know, broken people and hurt people hurt other people. And that's all that's really going on. But because Ben would be new to the internet, he would take each of them as really personal insults. 
because he'd never be yeah. used to somebody like you know being that direct. So I reckon it's, he would go door knocking one by yes. one and just punch him in the guts. They'd open their door yeah. and Ben Cunnington would be there and then he'd just like punch in your guts and then just shut the door and fuck off. So that's what the AFL should do. The AFL should take the worst tweets about Ben Cunnington and get someone to transcribe them into a handwritten letter and we post them to whatever PO box he has out in the wilderness. And once every six months when he goes by to get his mail, he'll get these handwritten notes, which are just literally transcriptions of actual tweets and we'll supply the details of the person. We'll, do, we'll hire a private investigator, get some details, and then let him, John Wick style, go door to door and punch trolls in the guts. That is the solution. And yet, turn it into a TV show as well to go with well, Ben Cunnington's series. It'd of be films. great if Gillan McLaughlin's just like, look, we've been talking to Amazon. They're filming a few bits of extra entertainment around this season, and we've got an idea. Ben Cunnington goes door to door and bashes people who troll AFL players. <laughs> It is a good advertisement for the Ben Cunnington lifestyle, though. I imagine if uh, I was an AFL player, social media would be a blessing and a curse because when you're playing well and things are good, you're getting a lot of praise and you get those likes are ticking over, but then you're in a slump. And uh, some real... I'm amazed by just... Has the... Because I go to the football, or I, when the football, you could still go to the football, and I was always like, oh, this is such a great example of how a football league should be run. Like it's safe, it's diverse, you know, it's welcoming and stuff. It wasn't like back when I grew up, I feel like they've done a good job of creating a bit of social change or lifting, so you know, behavior, behavior expectations at the football. But maybe that stuff has just been pushed online. Is that where it's gone? Well, also you add that extra element, like you said, of betting. Now, who would have known? This is obviously the first time that ever betting has been uh, problematic for professional sports teams. But this idea that you're giving someone an artificial reason to be disappointed with somebody. So if you go into Mm. like a multi or whatever and you've got, yeah, Mitch Robinson to get 25 kicks and he gets 24 kicks, you suddenly are trolling a guy who's played a really good game of football just because he didn't get 25 so you can get your fucking multi. Mitch Robinson... I am so, becoming such a fan of this year for nothing he's done on the football field, but he has been in such great form on social media. I love this side of Mitch Robinson. Who knew? Yeah, I I think Mitch Robinson's turned into one of the great characters of the AFL. Yeah, and but done it in a way which is like totally uh, authentic. Like it doesn't sort of feel, it's not like a Jason Ackermanis attention-seeking kind of thing. It feels like he's just genuinely expressing himself. I mean, again, you're talking about Callan Ward, you're talking about Mitch Robinson. These are pretty hard men that you're deciding to troll <laughs> over the safety of the internet. Well, if it becomes, if Twitter changes their policies so there's no longer anonymous accounts, like you have to put your name up there, does that cut that shit in half more? Well, more than that, I would imagine. But I think they've even brought in now, Twitter, the idea that you can see who comments on your posts and stuff like that, or you can limit who comments on your posts. So I imagine this sort of stuff will cut out a lot of the trolling. But the truth of it is that there is also a part of you where the best thing that you can possibly do is just not read any of it. Good, bad, or indifferent, just don't read any of it. I mean, we were pretty hard on Jesse White. Is it time we we issued an apology for our... Uh, treatment of Jesse White all those years ago. We retired him like four four times. Accidentally. In our defense. <laughs> it wasn't like we sat down and went, let's get that fucker Jesse White. 
You know what I mean? Like, he's cost us fucking Jesse White. He cost us nothing. We wouldn't have put him in a multi because we did not know that he was still a current day <laughs> AFL player. Is uh, George McFly, what's his name, from uh, Fremantle, used to play for GWS, uh, uh, Lob, Rory Lob. Is he the modern day Jesse White? I mean, I had forgotten that he was still playing. So, so yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but similar kind of player, right? Like, looks like they should be able to tear a game open, tall, athletically gifted, but just never quite does that thing that, that they think they're going to do. You know who played quite well on Monday night, uh, much to my chagrin, against uh, St Kilda? Reece Stanley. Reece Stanley. I was happy for Jack Stephen. Glad to see Jack Stephen enjoying football and doing well. But fucking hell, you know we've had a bad night when we've played Reese Stanley into form. He was really good. Like before the match, because Ryder and Marshall have been such a good combination this year. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Radical ears out. They don't really, sometimes they show throw blitzars into the ruck. But it's just going to be Reese Stanley. I'm like, oh, between Ryder and Marshall, this is going to, we're going to have a field day, first use every time. Then Ryder pulls out late withdrawal, and I'm like, yeah, but still, like Rowan Marshall is is the future captain of the club. He's a gun. Reese Stanley just had the game of his life. It was unbelievable. He, even I have felt that maybe after that beautiful letter we had read last week about uh, uh, Patrick Dangerfield and Nick Reeve conspiring uh, to dump Reese Stanley in, at the bottom of the bay, uh, I thought maybe we've gone a bit too hard if we're sort of creating murder ballads. About Reese Stanley, maybe we've gone too far. Or is there a chance that Reese has heard about it and it's inspired him to greater heights? Well, I would love that. And if that is the case, I'd encourage more of that kind of fiction. It'd be great if he was being interviewed after the game and they said, why did you play so well? And he goes, well, I'm just scared of being murdered on a boat. And the commentators are like, what are you, what, hang on, what, what? Are you talking about? What did you just say? Nick Revolt tries to interview him on the boundary line. He just runs, jumps the fence. <laughs> Fatty um, Dangerfield's that. like, Fatty Dangerfield's like the whole week. He's just like, Reese just kept coming up to me going, We cool, man? We cool? <laughs> yeah, man, we're, we're cool, we're cool. Backing away from hands in the air. Um, we've actually had a bunch of mail because uh, we've got a brand new website, Will. I'm not sure if you know, but tofop.com. It's uh, it's the place that houses all our podcasts. There's this one, there's Tofop, which is like this with slightly less AFL chat. Willosophy, your smart celebrity interview show. Uh, uh, there's also Fofop, which is like this, but we'll, we'll talk to another comedian. Anyway, bunch of great podcasts there. Go to tofop.com. And if you want to send us a mail, which these people have, you just go to the bottom of the page and there's a contact form. You just drag two guys, one cup down, send us the message. Um, a lot of cunt Fifington fiction has been sent in. So I thought we'd read a couple today just so uh, we can get through it. But uh, this is from Angus. Hey, love the show. This is a bit of Fife Cunnington fanfic I wrote. I hope you like it. The Shinbona Council meets at the heart of Arden Street. The worst crime in North Melbourne history has occurred. Shinbona spirit has been stolen. The Shinbona Council, Grand Mage, Crackers Keenan, Alan Aylett, Dennis Pagan, Mick Martin and the legendary Glen Archer among them meet to solve the loss of the Shinbona spirit. Each North Melbourne star is awarded the title of King from the legendary King Carey who covered their house in shame. They select the Fisher King, Ben Cunnington, as their champion to find the Shinbona spirit. Ben, we need you to take, uh, we need you to fake a back injury and look for the essence of Keith Gregg, says Crackers. You are the champion of our house, but we send another with you. I'll say I should probably do this like Lord of the Rings. 
Ben, we need you to fake a back injury and look for the essence of Keith Gregg, says Crackers Keenan. You are the champion of our house. <laughs> but we send another with you. House Dockers owes us a favor. Sorry, it's Game of Thrones. I'm, I'm totally getting the flavor of it now. Sorry. <laughs> house Dockers owes us a favor. A favor from the ancient times, which we will not speak of now. Nat Fife, the two meddled, will accompany you on your long journey. Please also note, Ben, your new follicle growth is tied to the spirit. If we do not recover it, it will fall out. <laughs> so the stakes are high. The two champions set off on their long journey. They go from battling lions in Queensland to an attack from hawks in Tasmania. The, the two inside mids slowly warm to each other and their skills start to complement each other. They hitch a ride on an old horse Longmire over the border to Western Australia. The now swan finally pays his debt to the club. Uh, isn't that Fife an inside midfielder? Is that what he's classed as? Is, is that, would you say he's an inside no, mid? No, ben, Cunnington, ben Cunnington's an inside midfielder. Well, isn't that Fife both, though? He probably can play inside and outside. He's an yeah, inside mid. but he's not... Is he an inside mid? Nat Fife? Okay, anyway, whatever. We're getting bogged down in semantics, <laughs> but he can play inside mid. The film culminates as they reach the headquarters of the Eagles. It is they who have stolen the shin bonus spirit to finally stop having a cry about being in the hub. <laughs> a robot feels like the Eagles found the shin bonus spirit about four weeks ago because they are flying. A robed figure waits in the doorway, however, a man with half blue and white, half purple and white. It's former North and Frio legend, Peter Bell. Oh, yes. The man who walked between two worlds, Peter Bell. I am the reason we sent Nat Fife with you, Fisher King Cunnington, he says. Fremantle still owed North from the shocker of a trade where North got nothing for me. Nat also had to learn to coexist with another inside bull. And I hope you have found a path. You must do one thing before I tell you where the Shinbone Spirit is, however. Nat and Ben look at each other. What challenge could the Fisher King and the, and the two medals face now, not face now? What is it, Peter Bell, says Ben Cunnington. Ben, you must tell me the name of a non-football or fishing-related thing you have an interest in. Anything that doesn't include those two. That's easy, yelled Ben. I started the Shinbona Cattle Company in 2016. We put bulls from <laughs> Jenkins, Fox River, Angus Stud over a cow herd with heifer wieners to be sold in China. It's great. This is taken from the Weekly Times article. It's a direct quote. <laughs> <laughs> you know the thing about Ben Cunnington's cows? Only impregnated by inside bulls. <laughs> Peter Bell looks at Ben Cunnington. I have no idea what any of that means, but that counts as an answer. Now, Nat, I think you know what this will be. You must name one of your teammates. Who isn't Michael Walters or David Mundy? <laughs> Who's David Mundy? Replies Nat Fife. <laughs> Before stopping. Okay, I can do this. Um, Cunnington looks on in horror as his fellow bull struggles. Oh, I know that guy. I kick it to him sometimes. Lanky dude, weird sleeves. Rory... Rory Throw, Rory, Rory Loop. <laughs> Peter Bell rolls his eyes. It's Rory Lob! But close enough, I guess. I don't want the Shinbone of Spirit in the hands of the Eagles. Go on. The two friends race into Eagles' sanctum, where they are forced to fight JJK and Luke Shuey. 
Luckily, Shui has a bad hamstring and the other Eagles mids refuse to pick up the slack. So the two champions <laughs> overpower JJK and grab the spirit. Again, this is written four weeks ago before the Eagles found their mojo. They return in triumph to the hub. The spirit rejuvenates North and they even slip Nat Fife a little bit so he can win his third brown low. Although Frio still finished 14th. The Fisher King's hair grows out like Fabio and each of his shin bone bulls, both on the field and off, prosper. I hope you like this one, guys. If you don't mind giving my AFL podcast a shout out, it's called On the Outer. That would be sweet. Everybody check out Gus's podcast, On the Outer. That's a fucking ripper. I'm loving these cunt fictions. Um, this is from Joel. G'day, Will and Charlie. Uh, I've enjoyed listening since the Halcyon days of 2016, and I'm hoping St Kilda can recreate that miracle this year, despite being a Tigers fan. I've also enjoyed the Gold Coast Renaissance, rising from the ocean in the same season. Every other team, particularly all of the players who departed, are forced up onto their turf. My only concern is that these freshly compelling players, Rankin, Rao, King, Lukosius, are doing all the heavy lifting without the jumper identity to make them a cult team. I understand the idea behind the current lifeguard-themed colour palette, but I really do think the bland training strip and logo they wear might be the only things holding them back. Although you've drifted away from clothing-related questions of late, I still thought you might be the perfect consultants to offer appropriate strip-related ideas to match their new flair and excitement. Not to mention the intricacies of Gold Coast-related themes following the lead of their buddy movie dressing stars. Kind of guards, Joel. Okay, Gold Coast Suns. Now, I read this letter in advance and I hadn't really uh, uh, thought about it, but he's right. It is a horrible, horrible corporate jumper. It looks like if you went to some financial seminar, that would be on the cover of the pamphlet you're given. Just that crappy, soulless Gold Coast logo on red. I agree with you. And I think that we're overlooking something that is completely obvious. This is the Gold Coast. It is the home of the meter maids. And the meter maids wear those sort of uh, swim, those gold bikini mm. swimming costumes, right? Surely some sort of gold lame, shiny gold. Like imagine them roll in that Gold Coast sun glistening off them. And I mean, it even, could you put the opposition off by like the fact that they constantly be getting like, you know, reflection in their eyes as they'll go Well, we the take ball? the idea one step further. I mean, this is the kind of idea that only mad Tony Cochran would back because he would love to show all those teams down in Melbourne that everything they do on the Gold Coast is better, glitzier, and more rock star. So we do, we take the gold lame, we incorporate that, incorporate that into the uniform, but we incorporate it with brown as well, so they become brown and gold. And then you just watch everyone in Melbourne flip out. You can't do that. Hawthorne are brown and gold. No, they're not. That's a Melbourne yellow. We are brown and gold. The Gold Coast. Says I, Tony Cochran. I'm crazy. <laughs> Well, maybe they do the inverse. So they wear gold with a brown stripe <laughs> rather than, you know, much like as a tribute to those who've gone out for a night on the Gold Coast and shit themselves. You've got the gold lame of the meter mates and then the brown streak. Okay, down the I'm going front. with you here. Right. So I reckon you're right. It's predominantly, it's like a gold jersey, but you just have a brown splotch as if they've vomited on themselves, like you do when you spend a weekend on the Gold Coast. <laughs> And the shorts are brown on the back and yellow on the front. They're white, but with a brown stain on the back and a yellow on the front. Because you've taken so much speed and ecstasy, you've shat yourself. 
there you go, Joel. That's our ideas. Um, okay, someone, this is from Brett. He just, it's a little screen grab. Uh, this tweet is from North Melbourne's media manager, poor Ben. So this is from Heath O'Loughlin, who's the media manager at North Melbourne. Fun fact number five, Ben Cunnington is yet to catch a Mako shark from about 10 attempts. It remains his most elusive fish and the one that keeps him up at night. Next time he goes out, he will use a rod and a reel, not just his bare hands. Wink emoji. Ben Cunnington's punching that guy in the guts. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say... I reckon Ben won't get the wink emoji. He's like, yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, next time I might use a reel and a rod. But, you know, I want to catch a shark with my bare hands. What, have you got a fucking problem with that, yeah, he? Punch in the guts. <laughs> Punches him in the guts. Uh, this is from uh, Pora. Pora. Uh, a marketing idea for the podcast. Hey, guys. Oh, Paul here. I guess Pora is the Spanish version of Paul. Pora. Pora. Hi guys, Paul here. For some reason, I've been coming up with a couple of slogan. I think Paolo would be the Spanish of Paul. Well, but well his name, it? I'm just thinking his name. And he's, it's, it's P-A-O-R-A. Para. Para. I'm just, anyway. Okay. <laughs> Looks Spanish to me. I don't know. South American, maybe? Anyway, moving on. <laughs> hey guys, Paul here. For some reason, I've been coming up with a couple of slogan suggestions for the Two Guys One Cup podcast. This is his first one. So I'm just, just going to throw it at you. We'll see where it lands. All right. See how this makes you feel. Two guys, one cup. Tofop plus footy tips. Well, we forgot to do. <laughs> well, we've stopped doing footy tips. So it's just Tofop. <laughs> Two guys, one cup. Basically Tofop. <laughs> tofop under another name. <laughs> All right. How about this one? Two guys, one cup. The Cunt Files. So the Cunt Files. I, I quite like the idea because this is originally was the idea that it was a buddy cop show, yeah. right? You know, <laughs> like the idea that, it, and and I like the idea that, you know, X-Files, X-Files style, maybe there's a, a series of mysterious events around the AFL. Players are suddenly sticking their fingers up each other's bums <laughs> and they send in your Mulder and Scully kind of team. who You know, one who's always believing in, you know, and one who's, you know, very sceptical about everything. That seems like the perfect relationship. <laughs> uh, this is from Big uh, Josh. Uh, the subject line is Big Tofu, which will explain itself in a minute. Hey, guys, I love the pod. I love Pocket Profile Pocket. Our most popular segment, Will, that we just started this year, Pocket Profile Pocket. I was reading on the Carlton website the other day that Levi Casbolt, a vegan, is no longer called Big Meat by his teammates. Instead, they call him Big Tofu. Loving a good nickname, I went looking for a pocket profile for the big fella, but sadly couldn't find find one. Anyway, keep up the good work. I hope Big Tofu kicks a bag tonight against the Hawks. Go Blues. Uh, newsflash, he didn't. <laughs> you lost. You were 30 points up a quarter time. <laughs> and then they ran all over you. It was another dagger in the heart to every Blues supporter out there. And if you're listening to this, you're probably miserable. You're probably down in the dumps because your team probably won't make finals again this year. You've given up 14 out of 21 games. You've given up 30-point leads. What's going on with you guys? It's it's not great. I mean, I would feel sorry for Carlton fans, but they're Carlton fans, so it's hard to feel sorry for them. Uh, oh, here we go. This is a good one. Sorry, not that the rest weren't good. I just What I meant is, oh, yes, I remember this one. Uh, it's not that it's a good one. They're all good. Everyone who writes in is fantastic. So remember, if you want to send us a message, you go to tofop.com, contact us on the form at the bottom of the page. This is from uh, Buddy. Subject, Westhoff is the lesser enigma. Enter the future. 
Are you intrigued? Is that subject line as intriguing and enigmatic as Justin Westhoff? You've got me. You've got me on the line like Ben Cunnington has a 10-foot shark on the fucking line. I've got you on the line like Ben Cunnington has never had a Mako shark on the line. <laughs> He's going to punch My me guts in the guts are sore. I don't know why. I think Ben Cunnington may have snuck in while I was sleeping and punched me in the guts. <laughs> Just whispers in my ear, you know why. <laughs> <laughs> you dog. <laughs> Hey there, guys. I've only started listening to the podcast really this year, and I absolutely love it. Welcome. I wanted to get in contact regarding the discussion about Justin Westhoff as the enigma that he is. And you're absolutely right. But but he pales in comparison to the ultimate Port Adelaide enigma, John, the future butcher. You mentioned him a few weeks ago as he was one of the three players Port Adelaide picked up when they overlooked Nat Fife. It was a solid selection for the ages. Butcher took two years to properly play and snagged a few bags in the 2011 season, one of Port's classic Port Adelaide seasons, to the point where Gary Lyon said he's got great hands, he's certainly a player Port can build its future around. Port decided to stop Hawthorne's offer to him and locked him down to the end of 2015. Did Lyon, with his quote and Port, ever shit the bed more with, with this one? Did Lyon, with his quote and Port, ever shit the bed with this one? Butcher truly grew to live up to his name, and over the next few years, he was notorious for taking great contested marks and kicking an average of four to five points for every goal. His last resurgence, don't ask about 2016, came in 2015 as Jay Schultz hurt himself in the warm-up for a Fremantle game at Adelaide Oval, and he was the call-up, and the crowd's overpriced beers and pies were buzzing with excitement. He butchered by name and by nature. Three shots for goal in the first half before kicking the best mongrel punted goal from 50 metres out at the end of the second quarter. Literally, the entire oval, including Frio supporters, erupted into applause for the glorious goal of his 197 centimetre fuzzy headed, for this glorious goal from a 197 centimetre fuzzy headed enigma. He will always be known as the future at Port. Because if there is one thing that being a Port Adelaide fan has taught me, it's that we will always get really excited about things being fantastic, to be let down, butchering the ball, and enjoy ninth place on the AFL ladder. I'd like to note that he is and will always be my favourite Port player, and I proudly display his rookie football card on my desk at work. (laughs) The future. Did you know... You know what I like about this is? I think Gary Lyon was actually right, because as it turns out seven years later, the future is pretty fucked. The future did not work out well. So he was absolutely right about not only his career, but also what the future of our fucking planet would be. But I I love that he's butcher by name, butcher by nature. And this might be where the problem is. Like, you know, like he might have kicked, you know, four points, you know, in a game and he's come off and Kenny Hinkley's gone, well, you've really butchered it today. And he goes, thanks, coach. And Hinkley's like, you'll never understand. You really butchered it apart from that one you didn't butcher. Oh, but I am butcher. This is from... A doctor, I think it's a doctor, or at least it's put in his, he's put it in his, he's put it in the entry field. So if you are a doctor, listen to this show, welcome. You listen to the wrong one. TOFOP is the number one medical podcast for doctors. Well, number one medical professionals. But he asks, being a St. Kilda junkie, dear Charlie, I've been ruminating on an idea that I can't shake loose. Being a Saints fan is exactly like being a junkie. Here are the dot points. We should have quit years ago. We have all the spoons in our trophy cabinet. We, 
After winning a few games, we get really bloody skilled again at being junkies and seduce hope and seduce hope out of family who should you should have cut ties with years ago. There's always smack in St. Kilda and Lazar Vitovic. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I've watched my friends die in 97, 09, and twice in 2010, and I still haven't learnt. If we ever do win, I am trying heroin. <laughs> I think it was a really long-winded way to say that you're curious about taking heroin. I would say don't. Um, yes, I, I, was, I did a podcast today uh, who, with a guy who's also a St. Kilda supporter, and we were sort of comparing war stories. And I think that the more accurate assumption is one that actually relates to why we started this podcast. You and I, prior to doing Two Guys, One Cup, would talk about football, and we would often wonder whether or not our following of teams that were perennial losers has impacted negatively on our lives in the same way that if you were in an abusive relationship where that person was constantly letting you down, getting your hopes up, letting you down, it would affect your interpersonal relationships. And we were speculating on, you know, if that would bleed into other parts of our lives. Um, that was a fun story until your fucking team won a flag. <laughs> and now it's just me who's stuck in the abusive relationship. Yeah, it is that thing, like if you use the junkie metaphor, you know, like paying your membership is like lending, you know, that family member money. And you're like, at some stage, I'm going to see this money back. They're going to get their shit together and everything's going to be fine. And year after year, you pay that membership and they squander it again and all you're left with is spoons around the house. And then one day, <laughs> my team just fucking paid back the money. Got clean. One day, they, just, they, they, they straighten themselves out. And I got to, you know, celebrate the fact that they were sober and they were straight and their life was back together. Now, the good news is, Charlie, they've, fall they've relapsed. They've fallen apart again. <laughs> they, look, they had one bad night. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I think, <laughs> I think it's almost like St. Kilda is like having that family member who's a fuck up. Like, it's not like... You know, if you're in a relationship that's bad for you, that's toxic, I think there is more onus on you to leave. But it's a bit more difficult when that person is your blood. You know, you have history together. And I think that's what it's like. They're not, I don't think St. Kilda's abusive. They're just so disappointing. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they are. They're just disappointing. And, but you love them. Like there is a love. It's a Winnie the Pooh kind of scenario. <laughs> uh, this is from James. Hey guys, so I was watching the Saints Gold Coast game and after Josh Battle took a good mark, I decided to check out his Wikipedia page. I couldn't help but notice he's a rather short bio and includes a pot shot at his brother's height. I only hope this doesn't change before you look it up. Should we look that up? Yeah, Josh absolutely. Battle's Wikipedia page. I want to see what this pot shot is. Uh, do you know who Josh Battle is? No, got no idea. But I imagine that um, like Butcher butchers it, Battle is a battler. Um, they love using his surname uh, every time he's selected. It's always battle ready, battle hardened, ready for battle. Okay. Josh Battle, born September 1st, 1998. Oh, my God. Well, there were footballers born in 1998. <laughs> when you and I should have been making our AFL debuts. I mean, the good news is about Josh Battle that he is not one of the suspects of 9-11. <laughs> Josh Battle, born September 1st, 1998, is a professional Australian rules footballer who plays for St Kilda Football Club. He was drafted by St Kilda with their second round selection and 39th overall. He made his debut in the 61-point loss to Essendon at Etihad Stadium in round 17 of 2017. He is the younger, taller, 
and better-looking brother of Nick Ned Battle, who is only microscopic at 166 centimetres. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it, it's, it's got a citation there, and it links to an article... Um, which is high school student battle set for St. Kilda debut against SNN on Friday night. Well, they put the citation in, but there's nothing in this article <laughs> that describes his brother Ned has been microscopic at 168 centimeters. <laughs> Do you think Josh has put that entry in or just a guy who doesn't like his brother? I mean, it's it feels personal. <laughs> it feels like Josh has been <laughs> updating his own Wikipedia page. That's what I would say. Either that or maybe Josh's dad. Josh and Ned's dad, and Josh, he's, Josh has always been his favourite, but he hasn't been able to say it. So he's like, I know, I know the place for this fucking feedback to my wimpish, tiny other son. I'm going to put it on Josh's Wikipedia page. <laughs> it sickens me, his diminutive size. Josh is big enough to be a footballer. This little bastard. All right, uh, last bit of mail is from Todd. Uh, hey, Will and Charlie. I love the podcast, but as a long-term Gold Coast supporter living in WA, listening to you... Guys, is sometimes an interesting experience for me. Why would that? Why, why do you think that would be the case? We've been quite um, bullish on Gold Coast this year, and we've been ha- bullish on Eagles for at least two years. Yeah, this year, this year we've been bullish on the Gold Coast. I thought I'd let you know that I recently met Don Pike while on holidays. He seemed nice enough, but once I realised it was Don Pike, I had to resist a fairly large urge to ask him about the camp. I think it's safe to say, given where I met him, that he was paying very little attention to the festival of footy. Thanks for the laughs, Todd. Don Pike. Do you reckon you could recognise Don Pike if you stayed at the same hotel as him? I don't think I could recognise Don Pike (laughs) if he was in a room with... If he was the only Australian in a room of 100 (laughs) people, I still would not know which one was Don Pike. All right. I'm just going to quickly look him up. You just describe him as best you can. Like you, you've just been mugged by Don Pike and you have to give the police a description. Just tell me what he looks like. I'm just going to look it up and, and uh, correct you he's, as you go. He's uh, six foot tall. He is... Um, no, you're he has wrong. dark brown uh, hair. Yes, correct. That's right. But he's, he's actually 180 uh, centimetres, so he's about 5'10". 5'10", sorry. Yeah, look, he was wearing, he was wearing big shoes when he mugged me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he's wearing heels. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. Well, he's wearing really long stops on his boots. Um, okay, so he's got dark brown hair. Um, he yep. weighs about eighty-five kilos. Um, no, no, seventy-eight kilos. He actually his dimensions are identical to mine. And I also did. I mention that his boots looked very heavy as well. Not only <laughs> did they make him a little bit taller, but they looked like very heavy boots. He's um. His height and weight is almost exactly my height and weight, and he has dark hair. So basically, I feel like if I'm the cop taking this interview, that you're panicking and you're just describing the guy sitting in front of you taking your statement. He was wearing a or, police uniform. He had a recording yeah. equipment. And I freak out and arrest myself. <laughs> Guys, I got him! <laughs> Cuffing myself. Uh, we've got a bit more time, so let's just do one more cunt fiction. Okay. I pulled one up here from Damien. Um, hey there, cuppers. Damo here. My nickname's Face. Go work that one out. All right, take a punt, Will. Why is, why is he called Face? And use your footy nickname, footy nickname, reverse engineer Face. Okay, so um, Damo. Uh, Dame, where do you go from Damo? I need a, like a, 
famous. Oh, uh, okay. Yep. Okay. So Damo, yeah. Damien. Yep. Yep. The Omen. <laughs> um. Uh, Gregory Peck. Birds Gregory peck your face. Peck. Your face. Bird. bird. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you looked like you needed a, a hand, so. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to well. No, Step I appreciate that. <laughs> Long time listener is Damo. As you as you continue to push the boundaries of so-called yet brilliant football podcast, here is my contribution to the Comf series of fan fiction. We have arrived at the final round of the season. Nat Fife has his helicopter engineer programming team when a series of algorithms which have determined that Dustin Martin requires three Brownlow votes to secure enough to win the season. This would make Dusty a dual medalist in the modern era, something which would put him on par with the legend that is Nat Fife. And it's something that Nat is not accustomed to, and quite frankly, it makes him sick in his own mouth at the thought of it. Richmond are playing Hawthorne in their final game, and that week Dusty faced the media, pledging that he, that this game is for his dad, the, the notorious biker, who has made the voyage to watch his son's game. Fife sends a telegram to his trusty partner in crime, Ben Cunnington, asking for his help to bring an unfortunate end to Dusty's performance. Ben gets a message back to Fife, suggesting that they take out the linchpin of Dusty's mindset, his biker dad, to put Dusty completely off his game. Yeah, Cunnington doesn't wa- Cunnington doesn't want any more trouble with the law after recently being fined for fishing so excessively that he nearly took a species to the brink of extinction. <laughs> Five agrees, and they plot to sell uh, to set someone else up to take the fall. Before the game, Ben spikes Razor Ray's Gatorade with some Shinbona spirit. Once Razor is high on the shin. <laughs> Ben hypnotizes him to make the most shocking and blatantly false free kicks against uh, the Hawks throughout the game. Meanwhile, Fife has lured Dusty's dad up to the room adjoining the Hawks coach's box, telling him that the Banditos have organized some strippers and nose beers for him. (laughs) The solitary chair in the room is bolted against the wall. The dad sits and waits. Hang on. I think Dusty's dad would have a fair idea of an ambush. Don't you reckon? Like, I think Dusty's dad would be a guy who would be a little wary about wandering into a sealed room with a guy he doesn't know very well. Yeah, but also he's heard there might be nose beers in there, so he's weighing <laughs> up his options. <laughs> it only takes until Razor Ray's third disgusting free kick against the Hawks for Alistair Clarkson to spring to his feet uh, and cope with anger, the only way he knows how. Clarko lets rip and slams his metal-like fist straight into the wall of the coach's box. His fist penetrates two layers of plasterboard, slamming to the back of Dusty's dad's head, rendering him unconscious. Fife, having filmed these scenes through the keyhole, quickly uploads it to the big screen. Goody too shows Cochin points Dusty's attention to the screen, upon which the Tigers faithful see their warrior fall to the ground in tears. As Dusty is stretched from the field... <laughs> Fife knows that his legendary status will remain intact for at least another year. Fife thanks Ben Cunnington with a BCF voucher and a new ti- and a new type <laughs> a new a new typewriter ink ribbon. Ben feels his hair. Re- <laughs> What's a BCF? 
You know, boating, camping, fishing, it's BCF <laughs> and fun. <laughs> ben, Cunnington knows two, ben Cunnington knows two songs. He knows the North Melbourne Club theme song and he knows the boating, camping, fishing song. Five thanks, Ben, with a BCF voucher. That must be a country joke. And a new typewriter ink ribbon. Ben feels his hair replacement locks wave in the wind as he watches Fice helicopter disappear through the clouds on a chilly Melbourne night. Anyway, guys... Please keep up your spectacular efforts. If there's ever a podcast reward ceremony for funny but irrelevant content, <laughs> you would be writing a victory speech. <laughs> I'll take that. Funny but irrelevant. Um, okay. I think that uh, Ben Cunnington, when Ben Cunnington has asked to list his three main interests, he actually just says, they're all in the song, mate. Boating, <laughs> camping, fishing. <laughs> uh, Will, who's on philosophy this week? Uh, who is on philosophy this week? Craig, Craig Rucastle was on Monday's episode, which uh, is an absolute ripper. And then this Friday, Celia Pecola is back uh, in an absolute corker of an episode. And if you like this podcast and you want to listen to a very similar podcast with slightly less AFL chat, uh, we do another one called Tofop. And this week we talk about the history of Australian cuisine icon, the 4 and 20 pie, which is a lot more detailed than you would have thought. Were you surprised by what we learned? Big crossover episode for two guys, one cup and tofop. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of Hemsworth content. There's a lot of pie, hot pie, uh, you know, pie warmer content. Could have easily fit in on either of the podcasts this week. Uh, so that's it. Play on, not 15. Bolt. We are two guys, one cup.